Hello. Hi, this is Brian Panish, and we're joined today by Robert Eglett. Robert's one of the top trial lawyers in America, primarily practices in Nevada. He's been very instrumental in helping save the torch system in Nevada, helping promote the rights of consumers. And Robert, welcome, and thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Brian. Thank you for having me. Robert, why don't you give us, tell us a little bit about your background, what, what it was that caused you to be a lawyer, and when it is you thought you wanted to be a lawyer? Well, I, I grew up here in, uh, in Las Vegas. Um, I wasn't born here, but I'm pretty close to being a native. Been here nearly my whole life. And, uh, you know, uh, I was um, about 13 years old, and uh, I was what, what we call in those days a latchkey kid. I was raised by a single mother, and, you know, I was working two jobs. And so afternoons I would have free after school. And one day I was riding my bike, and I stumbled into the courthouse because I had to go to the bathroom, didn't even know it was the courthouse, then stepped into the beginning of a, of a trial, uh, very beginning, opening statements of uh, a lawyer who was representing uh, a man whose entire family was wiped out and killed by a drunk driver, and I was just captiv captivated by it. I ended up cutting school for the next two weeks to watch this trial, got in a little trouble for that, but... Uh, after I got up restriction, I would go down after school and in summers and sit and watch trials all day. And I just, I knew right then that's what I wanted to do. So you went to college, obviously you went to law school. When you got out, I, my recollection is you began practicing as an insurance defense lawyer. Is that right? Yeah, like, like a lot of people, you know, I came out of school with a lot of debt. And so I took a job with, uh, at the time was the, I think the biggest law firm in, in Nevada and they did insurance defense and commercial litigation. So I kind of fell into that insurance defense world and uh, tried a bunch of cases as a defense attorney, left there after about three and a half years and started my own firm with the idea that I was gonna do plaintiff's work because I never, my heart was never in the defense work, but um, had to pay the bills and all these insurance companies started sending me work. So I kind of fell into that trap and wasn't able to get out of the insurance defense world until, um, the year 2000. In the year 2000, I, I left that, uh, sold my defense practice and, and started doing plaintiff's work full time. And, um, you know, and, and that's where I've been since then. You haven't looked back, have you? Never looked back. Uh, best move I ever made. <laughs> so for young lawyers, people that are starting out that maybe are looking for a job or they've taken a job in what would you say as to being an insurance defense lawyer? If you want to be a plaintiff's lawyer, how did that help you? What do you recommend for others? Well, you know, at the time, I think things are different now. I mean, it's much harder for these young lawyers to get trials. I mean, I spent three and a half years at uh, the defense firm I w was at, and in that three and a half years, I got 25 jury trials in. That's just kind of unheard of nowadays. It's so hard for these with arbitration and alternative dispute resolution. It's hard for these young lawyers to get trial experience. Honestly, I, I would probably recommend that somebody go to the DA's office or the public defender's office now to get, get some trial experience because it's, it's hard on the, on the civil side. But for me, it was a good move. Uh, move. I, got a lot of, uh, I got a lot of trial experience. And then as, when I left there, I continued to get a lot of trial experience. And that really, of course, helped me a great deal in, as a plaintiff's lawyer to have that kind of trial experience and and then the insurance industry knowing that I'm, you know, I'm capable and willing to try cases against them. 
So Robert, you, you've done a lot of work in, in the area of uh, data-driven jury selection. First, can you explain for our listeners, what is this data we're talking about? Well, essentially it's, it's predictive analytics, which is universally accepted by every industry in the United States now except law. And I, I think it's, it's, it's time we catch up in, in this area. I mean, if you look at all of the, the uh, if Facebook, uh, Amazon, uh, you know, Google, all of these companies use uh, big data essentially to market and sell products in a, in a, in ways that have never effective ways that more effective than ever ever been seen and they're able to literally in, in presidential campaigns they're able to predict how people are going to vote they're able to predict what consumers are going to buy their products and why and when they're going to buy, buy them and you know amazon and, and facebook and others have this down to a science i'm sure some, some people besides me get get pop-up advertisements about a product that they happen to be thinking about and all of a sudden it pops up on their phone or their computer and like well how did they know that and next thing you knew you know you're ordering something from amazon um so I, I i gathered about four years ago some of these data scientists and engineers together i said look if if these companies like facebook and presidential campaigns and amazon can do this why can't trial lawyers use the same technology to to predict or forecast how specific potential jurors in our cases are going to weigh in on the liability and damages issues in, in, in our cases. And their unanimous response to me was a two word response, you can. So at that point we started, I started working with them to develop a process and um, uh, to do this. And over the th last three years, we've been testing it on our, our firm's trials as well as other firms trials and the success we have have had has just been tremendous i mean it works with unbelievable precision what kind of data are you gathering well you know basically i rely on these data scientists and and engineers from jury analysts to to gather the data but the process is basically a three-step process we engage they they help and with you they work with the attorneys to prepare to do online focus grouping of hundreds of people as opposed to you know a focus group of eight or 16 or 24 you know one or two or three panels of focus groups so it's large volumes of data of, of people that tend to be statistically significant and the, the 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 virtual focus group members or the online focus group members are selected are eligible for jury selection selection in the jurisdiction where the case will be tried, which is important. And then you have to have a statistically significant amount, which depends on you know the size of the jurisdiction. And so then they test your case through um, focus grouping, and they they gather a lot of data. And then they also gather all the online data for, from all of these people, and they are able to come up with a predictive model once they take all that data and analyze it. And then they apply that predictive model to your actual jury panel members. And then they gather the same data they did on the focus group members on your jury panel members. And they're able to provide us with a predictive score, literally a percentage or a probability of, you know, what is the probability this particular juror is going to, you know, vote for the plaintiff for liability or, you know, apply some percentage of comparative negligence or what is the probability that they're going to come up with a, a value of your case between, the, you know, some, some X amount and Y amount. 
And that's essentially what they do. And then they provide us a report and we're able to use that in jury selection to um, assist us. It's a, it's a very valuable to, tool to assist us in, in picking the appropriate jury for our cases. Psychographics. So psychographics is essentially, you know, in years past, as you know, some of the old timers were, were really using demographics as kind of the key to jury selection. You know, there was this idea that, you know, some professions made good plaintiffs jurors, other professions made bad plaintiffs jurors, some, you know, socioeconomic backgrounds or races are better jurors than others. And what we found in, in, in the 21st century in America that, that the demographics, we still use demographics, but they're not very good at predicting how a juror is going to decide on an issue. And what is very predictive is psychographics, the psychological profile of those people. And with the amount of data online on everybody, virtually everybody in America now, you can get a very accurate psychographic profile of almost anyone from based on their online profile, which is predictive of how they're going to come down on these various issues that are important to your case. Well, you've been practicing over 30 years. You've got obviously got into a routine. Why try new things? Why rock the boat? Why be so creative? Well, you know, as you know, Brian, uh, things are always changing and things are always moving. And if you're not learning, um, if you're standing still, then you're not progressing. You know, even I've been doing this over 30 years, I still go and I watch people like you and other great trial lawyers and I learn from them. And, and quite frankly, I learn from a lot of these young lawyers uh, out there nowadays who are, who are trying new stuff uh, all the time. So, you know, I read and, 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 and try to learn and, and try to try to continually get better. Uh, and, and, and that involves trying new things. Well, how about for young lawyers or smaller firms, can they afford to get involved in this jury analytics? If so, how would they do that? Well, you know, it, it, depending on the size of the case and the, and the jurisdiction and uh, the number of potential uh, jurors that you're going to have in your panel is going to be predictive of the, you know, the cost of, of the process. Obviously, if you've got a really big case, very long trial where you're going to have, you know, maybe hundreds of jury panel members, it's going to be more expensive versus a smaller case where you're going to have maybe a jury panel of 75 potential jurors where it's, 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 it's more cost effective to do that. You know, so there are, you can do these on a budget and also you can, you don't have to have as large a sample. You know, you may be satisfied with a 80% co uh, confidence interval versus a 95 confidence interval. Uh, on your cases. So you can spend what you like and they don't, you know, there's the option is, is if it is a big case and you're a smaller firm and you think this is necessary, you can always team up with a firm like yours or a firm like mine um, to pursue those cases. Somebody who can help you finance the finance, those type of costs. Now I know you're heavily involved in a certain litigation. What, what are you doing right now? Well, there's several litigations I'm involved in. Obviously the one, uh, probably the biggest one that you and I are involved in together are, is the one October shooting case. Um, you know, the, the, the biggest um, worst mass shooting in U S history that happened here in Las Vegas on October 1st, 2017. And so we've been working on that case, our firms together now for um, a 
couple, uh, well, a year and a half since the incident. And um, you know, I think between our firms and the Robinson firm, we, we represent 98% of the victims um, from that tragedy. And um, we are, uh, MGM had requested several months ago that we uh, enter into a mediation process with them. So we put a stay on the litigation and um, in a few weeks, we're going to enter into a, uh, a mediation that's scheduled to go about four weeks. And we'll see. You know, well, I, I would say I'm um, cautiously optimistic that- well, We know how that goes. Yeah, we do. <laughs> Let's talk about what I really liked about the opioid litigation. I know you really passionately believe in the problem. You're addressing it. You're trying to represent governmental entities. Tell us a little bit about that litigation, the problems that face everyday Americans. Well, you know, the, the, the opiate litigation, in my view, Brian, is the worst domestic crisis of, of our lifetime. Um, you know, it is, it is, it crosses all racial, racial, social, and economic backgrounds. It doesn't matter who you are, what kind of background you, you come from, you are susceptible to this problem. And the opiate pharmaceutical industry has just crushed uh, America with the number of people that they've gotten addicted and, and, and so many people are still dying every year from these opiates. So, you know, I have the privilege right now of representing nearly all the counties and in, in major cities in Nevada. Um, and the state is getting ready to hire me as well in the next week or two to, to represent them in the opiate litigation. We're pursuing a state strategy here in Nevada. I'm working in, in conjunction with the MDL lawyers but uh, we've had a lot of success, success in, in past years when it comes to cases involved in the MDL of pursuing a state strategy, keeping our cases in state court here. That's what we've done. Our cases are all- well, Why do you like that, state versus federal MDL? Well, we, we feel our experience is we get better results in both in trial and in settlement um, pursuing a state strategy here. And we also, and by doing this, we are able to get cases to trial faster than the MDL. And so we help drive the settlement of the MDL by the threat of we're either trying cases and getting verdicts or that there's the threat of us trying cases and getting verdicts here. And you know, we, we have a, a history in this state, our firm of, of doing really well in uh, our, with, with our state court juries here. And um, you know, I think particularly with these opiates cases that those are really good cases to, to try in the jurisdiction that's been affected by them. I mean, you try one of these, you know, I try, let's say I try one of these cases out in Lyon County, for example, and or one of these other rural counties, which has just been devastated. It's, it's, you know, the cities are bad, but the rurals are even worse for these um, opiate crisis. And, you know, so you've got a, a jury from that community that, that's been affected by that, that, that understands and, and, and knows the real, the, the, the ramifications of this and has felt the pain and, and seen the pain. And so I think it's, it's more effective. What are, what are the remedies that you're seeking by the lawsuits? Well, the primarily the primary claim, along with you know a lot of the other claims, that is nuisance. You know, but that's the, the the primary claim we're bringing on behalf of the the counties and the cities. The the damages to the counties and the cities, you know, who provide all the social services, are just so widespread and deep. Um, it's almost beyond comprehension. Uh, you know, I, I truly believe the opiates litigation is bigger than the tobacco litigation. 
uh, at the end of the day, I think this, these cases will be bigger. But it, from everything from, you know, from child welfare services through the criminal justice system, um, there have been just hundreds on a, on nationwide, hundreds of billions of dollars have been expended. And I think the last report from the federal government, from the President's Economic Council, said that it's costing America, the opiates crisis is costing the United States more than $500 billion a year. Now, those wow. are almost defense spending numbers. So that kind of tells you the ramifications. And so it has put incredible strains on all of these cities and counties, strain them to their, you know, in Nevada, for example, we know that every county, the criminal justice system over the last decade has spent anywhere from 25 to 35% of their budget just on the opiates crisis. Wow, what a problem. And hopefully you and many lawyers working on it will make a difference. We're running out of time, so I want to hit you with a couple quick questions. I'm in law school. I want to be a trial lawyer. What should I do in law school to try to prepare me and once I get out? Well, you know, if you're in law school, I would encourage you to participate in both moot court and mock trial. Um, as you know, and I know, what a lot of people don't realize how, is how much how important writing skills are to litigation. It's important that you hone your writing skills. Um, that's the number one factor that I look at when I'm hiring a new lawyer is their writing skills. Um, because many times these cases uh, are won and lost on the pretrial briefing that's done. But those are the three, you know, I would really focus on moot court um, uh, and mock trial as well as writing skills. And, you know, I would try to get with a firm that can get you as much experience as possible in the courtroom. And as you talked about earlier, and that may now be government, whether it be prosecution or public defender, they're certainly not running out of cases there. And they don't have clients to report to if something goes bad with a young lawyer trying the case. That's true. That's true. In, in the last 10 years, what are the biggest changes you've seen in the personal injury litigation field? Well, the mechanization and automation of things um, has certainly changed, uh, you know, computers and, and the way we practice and, and, and the speed of which we practice is certainly changed. Um, I think in some ways it's become a lot tougher. Tort reform has, you know, been, it's been widespread across the country. Uh, fortunately, here in Nevada, we've been very successful. Bill, Bill Bradley and I and others have been very successful at the legislative level, um, you know, stopping uh, significant tort reform other than the medical malpractice caps and, and then what they did a few years ago to construction defect here. Um, we've been pretty successful at that. But I think that's one of the biggest problems. And, and then the other thing I've seen is these, uh, the insurance companies are, you know, and, and a part of this is, I think, is the problem with too many plaintiffs' lawyers, all lawyers, quite frankly, not having enough trial experience and having that fear of going to trial because they haven't tried enough cases, are settling cases for less than their, their actual value. Uh, and that's become the norm. I mean, I see case lawyers all the time here in Nevada settling cases for less than the meds. And, you know, that just was unheard of when I, when I first started practicing. So, you know, that, th those are some challenges I think that we're facing and, and so we've got to get, we've got to get our young lawyers trying more cases. We've got to get them more trial experience and, 
And, and as you know, that's been a concern of mine for several years now and something I've been working on as well, is trying to get lawyers to try more cases. How have you in, in integrated the changes in technology into your practice? So I know you're very involved in technology. Well, you know, obviously we try to keep up as best we can with, with all the technology. You know, historically lawyers have kind of been behind the curve when it comes to, to technology with respect to the rest of business. But we've tried to stay up. We certainly tried to stay up with our, our trial presentation and the multimedia experiences that jurors now expect, quite frankly, to, you to put on during trial. You can't just stand up and give, it, give an oral argument anymore. You know, they want to see the show as well. And so you have to be prepared and and schooled and knowledgeable how to how to do that. Uh, you know, PowerPoint is a huge, uh, huge thing now. I, I can't imagine going into a, a case without PowerPoint now. But I mean, you know, we're 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 using laptops and iPads as our 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 entire trials are on those iPads and laptops now. So it, it's it's you know the, the it's it's gotten more efficient. Um, at the same time, the speed at which things are changing, you're having to learn constantly, learn literally on a daily basis to keep up with the, the new technology that's being utilized. Well, Robert, we're unfortunately out of time. We want to get you back. You got so many great things to share with our listeners. And thank you so much for coming on and I look forward to having you back. Thank you, Brian.